Loving in the Past is supported by Colin Garrity. Designing and hand-building quality goods for your home, Colin Garrity makes everything from walnut wood folding tables to maple herb strippers. Simple, beautiful, and practical. Visit ColinGarrity.com to find a gift for anyone today. Our marriage lasted through innumerable separations, one world war, several private wars, a divorce decree, a reconciliation, two wonderful children, many homes, ranches, not enough money, and lots of money, before it all ended in a cold and soggy mess. Lucille Ball. I'm Eliza. And I'm Kaden. And this is Loving in the Past. summer day of August 6th, Lucille Ball was born in Jamestown, New York. Jamestown was a busy, blue-collar city with most of its inhabitants working in factories. Lucille's parents, Had and Desiree, were young lovers married at the age of 18. Shortly after their daughter's birth, they left New York, and Lucille spent her first few years between Montana and Michigan. Lucille was always charmed and delighted by Montana, and later in life, when starting her modeling career, she falsely claimed to be from Butte, Montana because she liked the image it gave her. Lucille's father died in 1915 when she was just four years old, leaving her with her mother and brother. She attributes her first childhood memory to the day her father died. She vividly recalled a bird flying into a window in her home that same day, causing a photo to fall from the wall and break. For the rest of her life, she feared birds and didn't even like depictions of them. Much later in life, while living in Beverly Hills, California, she was outraged by the sight of a small plastic bird decorating a bouquet of flowers sent to her and complained to the florist, who then told his entire staff to never let that happen again. The one exception she made to her hatred for birds happened while she lived out in the country near Hollywood. She found a sparrow with a broken wing and took pity on it. She created a nest of cotton for the bird, fed it, and attempted to bring it back to good health. She awoke the next morning to the ironic sight of a dead bird whose claws had gotten stuck in the cotton nest surrounding it. Lucille's mother remarried in 1918 and left Lucille to be raised by her strict grandmother, who showed her affection through tough love. Lucille was lonely as a child and forced to do a multitude of chores. She created an imaginary friend named Sassafrasa, who was always there to play and help clean the house. Perhaps due to her strict childhood, Lucille felt a strong responsibility for the well-being of other people. She always looked out for others, sometimes without their consent. Lucille's good friend Pauline said of her, Most kids stare at a blind man. Lucille would try to help him, probably more than he wished. From a young age, Lucille Ball was always performing. She would put on shows for whoever was willing to be an audience member. She loved to be the center of attention and took advantage of it when she could by testing out comedic material, particularly physical comedy. At age 15, she left Jamestown for New York City and started at Robert Minton John Murray Anderson School of Drama, surrounded by talented classmates, including a young woman named Bette Davis. The school was incredibly harsh and allowed for very little creative freedom and expression. Lucille never won to shy away from creative expression, left drama school after only one month, and soon returned to her hometown, probably to the joy of her instructor, who had written to Lucille's mother, Lucy's wasting her time and mine. She's too shy and reticent to put her best foot forward. When later describing her brief time at Minton Anderson, Lucille said, All I learned in drama school was how to be frightened. After returning to Jamestown, she never graduated high school and eventually moved back to New York City. An undeniable beauty, Lucille always had a boy interested in her, and she loved the attention. While living in New York City, she fell for a man named Roger Furse, and one night, in the middle of a party, they made plans to elope. They hopped in a car and started driving upstate to a judge. Halfway to their destination, they realized their foolishness and turned back around. Roger was just one of many men whose heart was broken by Lucille Ball. Eventually, after a short modeling career, Lucille was chosen to be a Chesterfield cigarette girl. As the new face of this company, her career was sparked. In 1933, she was chosen as a backup for the Samuel Goldwyn film, Roman Scandals. Right before the movie began filming, one girl dropped out, giving Lucille the chance to step in. In her first filmed performance, Lucille plays a singing and dancing extra, a role for which she was required to shave off her eyebrows, which for the rest of her life never fully grew back. 
Lucille went on to star in over 70 films and hundreds of television episodes. Lucille was an extrovert to the extreme and hated to be alone. She surrounded herself by her friends as often as possible. She was loud, blunt, and loyal. She never avoided confrontation and stood up for her friends as much as she did herself. While staying in a hotel in New York City in the 1950s, Lucille was told that her black maid Harriet would have to ride the service elevator, while Lucille took the passenger elevator. Infuriated, Lucille declared, if Harriet doesn't ride in this elevator, I don't ride in this elevator. As far as the hotel was concerned, that was that, and Harriet rode the passenger elevator from that day on. As charming as she could be, Lucille also had a temper, and no one wanted to get on her bad side. She faithfully loved those she liked, and she was loyal to her hatred of those she disliked. If she liked you, her temper could flare at you, but her underlying care for you never died. Never one to shy away from confrontation, she liked it when she was confronted, and respected those who chose to do it. At the height of Lucille's television career, while she was on set at CBS Studios, she sat in her makeup chair and asked for a glass of water with ice. When Harriet handed her a glass of water without ice, Lucille fumed and threw the glass of water in Harriet's face. Harriet left the room, and a few minutes later she was back with a new glass of water in her hand, which she then tossed in Lucille's face. Lucille was silent for a moment, then asked for a towel, and that was the end of it. Lucille, never one to be outdone, always liked to be the prettiest one in the room. During one day in the early stages of filming I Love Lucy, Lucille went over to her co-star Vivian Vance and stated, Nobody wears false eyelashes on this show but me, as she pulled off Vivian's false eyelashes. Desi Arnaz was born on March 2, 1917, in a small historic seaside town in Cuba, as the only child to an affluent family. His father was mayor of the town, Santiago de Cuba, and his mother was the daughter of Bacardi's rum executive. His grandfather was a doctor who cared for the Rough Riders after they rode with a young American named Theodore Roosevelt near San Juan Hill. His family didn't take long to realize their son's keen musical talent, especially on the drums. From a young age, Desi, like Lucy, loved to entertain. Desi's close family members were extremely influential, both positively and negatively. The men in his life, his father and grandfather, always had mistresses, and Desi grew up accepting the idea that men should always have multiple women at their disposal. Desi's mother, Lolita, always knew of her husband's transgressions and never protested. She accepted it as her lot in life and discouraged her son from speaking out against his father. This always upset Desi, and he confronted her about it one day, only to hear her defend her husband and her own choices to keep quiet on the matter. Desi was 16 years old when, in August of 1933, the same year that Lucille moved to L.A. to start filming Roman Scandals, the Cuban government was overthrown by the Communist Party. His hometown of Santiago de Cuba played a big role in the revolution, and no one was unaffected. His family lost everything and risked their lives by traveling undercover and eventually found their way to the U.S., settling in Miami. Desi went to school in Miami Beach, where he met and soon became good friends with the son of Al Capone. Desi's talent for music continued to shine, and he was playing in clubs in New York City by the age of 22. The ladies adored him, and much like other men in his life, he always had multiple women at his disposal. Like Lucille, Desi had a temper, though when triggered, his was often explosive and abusive. It was little things that set him off, and many later remembered him by his outbursts and the effect they had on people. When he wanted to charm a room, he could turn it on and cast a spell over everyone in the room. When he was angry, he would flip the switch back and everyone was wise not to get in his way. Desi eventually made his way to Los Angeles after being asked to do some film work. He moved out to California and started working at RKO Studios, where Lucille Ball had been working for a few years. It was in the cafeteria of RKO Studios that Lucille and Desi met. They were both filming separate movies, and still in costume, stole down to the commissary for some lunch. They were briefly introduced to each other, but it wasn't until later that night that they started to get to know each other. They went out to a club with a group of friends, but sat alone at a quiet table in the corner. Things moved quickly from there. Desi, who was engaged when he moved to Hollywood, broke off his engagement within days. Lucille and Desi started spending all of their free time together and falling quickly in love. Their relationship was a roller coaster ride from the beginning. They were constantly oscillating between highs and lows. When it was good, it was great. When it was bad, it was awful. Their fights were loud, obnoxious, and sometimes physical. 
Writer F. Scott Fitzgerald and his young girlfriend, Sheila Graham, shared an apartment complex with Lucille and would often observe their fights from F. Scott's balcony. Lucille and Desi were both constantly jealous and making each other jealous on purpose, knowing that it was a trigger point for the other. After one particularly lonely night, when Lucille was left alone to wonder where Desi was and who he was with, he picked up the phone to hear her scream in his ear, "'You Cuban son of a bitch! Where were you last night?' What are you trying to do? Lay every goddamned one of those chorus girls? When they weren't fighting, they were madly in love, going out and dancing, taking spontaneous trips, and introducing each other to friends and family. Desi was the only person in Lucille's life that could call her Lucy. It was his special name for her. Despite the roller coaster that was their romance, Desi and Lucille decided to get married, and they eloped in Greenwich, Connecticut on November 30, 1940. Desi, who was in the middle of a run of shows in New York City, had a performance that night. They raced back to the city, and Desi performed as usual, but this time to a cheering crowd who was overjoyed at the sight of the young, newlywed couple before them. Lucille and Desi's friends and family didn't have much faith in their relationship, and Lucille herself had a hard time believing it would last. She later said of their union, My friends gave the marriage six months. I gave it six weeks. The volatile arguments didn't stop after the couple tied the knot, and Desi continued with his habit of infidelity. Many fights resulted in Desi leaving the house, sometimes for days at a time. During one especially heated argument at the dinner table, with a dinner guest sitting across from them, Desi punched Lucille in the face, splitting her lip. Their maid, Harriet, who was extremely devoted to Lucille, then entered the dining room and hit Desi over the head with a wine bottle. Lucille and Harriet went to the restroom to clean Lucille up while Desi recovered in the dining room. According to their dinner guests that night, Lucille then returned to the dining room and proceeded with dinner as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened. Despite the severity and physicality of some of their fights, Lucille and Desi remained madly in love, however exhausted with each other they may have been. Late in his life, Desi said this of their relationship. I'm convinced that the reason we survived this constant arguing, fighting, and accusation for so many years was because we had something extra special going for us. We were very much in love with each other, and when we were able to be together, our sexual relationship was heavenly. Also, and perhaps even more important, we had a good sense of humor. We were able to laugh at ourselves and at our sometimes absurd and stupid arguments. Their different backgrounds were often the cause of strife, and Desi's Cuban heritage didn't align with Lucille's New York upbringing. Desi came from a culture where women stayed at home. His own mother would usually sit in the corner and knit when guests came over. The fact that Lucille was a bigger star than him frustrated him, but he also considered it an attractive quality. Desi loved that their relationship was famous. During one interview in the early period of their marriage, Desi stopped halfway through a sentence directed at Lucille to make sure the reporter was getting it all down. I love you more than Antony loved Cleopatra, he said, before turning to the reporter and saying, did you get that down? I'll repeat it. First year of wedded bliss, Lucille suffered from a miscarriage. She would go on to have two more, a total of three miscarriages in the span of ten years. Desi was drafted into the U.S. Army in 1943, but tore his knee cartilage playing baseball the day before he was supposed to leave. He was then assigned to teaching English to illiterate inductees into the Army, an ironic position for someone who was always characterized by his thick accent and mispronunciation of English words. By the year 1944, Lucille had had enough and to Desi's complete surprise and disappointment, she filed for divorce, citing mental cruelty. He eventually agreed to the divorce, but called her up the night before Lucille was scheduled to go to court to sign the paperwork. They met up, and after talking things through and rekindling the physical side of their relationship, decided that night to stay together and work things out. But the next day, when Desi woke up, he saw Lucille preparing herself for court, divorce papers in her hand. She told Desi she didn't want to disappoint the press, who were expecting her to be a divorcee that day, and let them down she did not. Desi and Lucille continued on with their relationship as before, though they had attempted to get the divorce. The divorce, however, was void, since California law stated that if the couple lived together during a one-year waiting period, the divorce would not be legal. A few years, they remarried, this time in a Catholic church, to please Desi's religious mother. Lucille and Desi continued working in film, but eventually Lucille also dipped her toes in the radio world. She starred in the radio show My Favorite Husband, which turned out to be a huge success. The show was eventually considered for television by CBS, and Lucille suggested her husband, Desi, to play the role of her husband on the show. The network turned her down, 
saying, who would believe a typical American redhead married to a Cuban band leader? Little did CBS know, they had just scoffed at an idea that would eventually make Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz the top celebrities in America. The show that would bring Lucille and Desi their fame was, of course, I Love Lucy. CBS eventually changed their minds and let the writers of My Favorite Husband write a television show for Lucille Ball with her real-life husband, Desi, playing her husband on TV. The pilot for I Love Lucy was shot on March 2, 1951, Desi's 34th birthday. Lucille was 39 years old. When it rains, it pours. Not only was Lucille on the brink of a brand new television show with herself as the star, she was also six months pregnant when they started filming, after dealing with years of fertility difficulties. Lucille Ball will go down in history not only as one of the nation's best comedians, but also as the first pregnant actress to portray a pregnant woman on TV. It took a lot of convincing to get CBS to agree to writing Lucille's pregnancy into the script, but eventually the network agreed, with one specific condition. They were not allowed to use the word pregnant, as that would be considered too imprudent. The most that the writers of I Love Lucy were allowed to say was the term expecting. 20 days before her 40th birthday, Lucille gave birth to a little girl, Lucy, and six weeks later they were back filming their show. Ten months after little Lucy was born, Lucille found out she was pregnant again. On January 19, 1953, Lucille gave birth to a boy, Desi Jr. The Arnezes had wanted children for so long, and as soon as they got one, they also got a number one television show. It became impossible to give themselves fully to both, and Lucille and Desi are remembered by their children as distant and distracted parents. Cleo, Lucille's cousin and close confidant, revealed that when asked what she wanted more than anything in the world, Lucille hesitantly replied, my career. I Love Lucy was an immediate success. Within the first year of the show airing, at least 16 million viewers tuned in every week. Lucille and Desi were America's favorite couple, and the public loved to know what they were up to. Word spread quickly when Lucy gave birth to her second child. That same night of Desi Jr.'s birth, about 44 million people tuned in to watch that night's episode of I Love Lucy. President Eisenhower was inaugurated the very next day, and only 29 million Americans tuned in to watch his inauguration. In 1953, the same year Desi Jr. was born, Lucille was hit by a plague that affected many other famous names in Hollywood. The House Un-American Activities Commission came knocking on Lucille's door, interrogating her for answers. She was officially registered as a communist, though she had never voted as one. She made it clear to them, and to the press, that she had only registered as a communist over ten years earlier to please her opinionated and somewhat forceful grandfather. She was eventually cleared of all charges, but it wasn't without consequence. Lucille and Desi had to work extremely hard to convince the public that they were good patriotic Americans. They held a press meeting at their home, where Desi reminded everyone that communism destroyed Cuba and is the reason he was forced to leave his childhood home. He also made it a point to assure the reporters that the only thing read about Lucy was her hair. Two children and the most successful television show of the 1950s was not enough to keep Lucille and Desi from their typical conflicts. Desi's temper remained explosive, his infidelity never lessened, and Lucille continued with her often petty and abrasive ways. The couple eventually went to relationship counseling in hopes of mending, but fought during each session, ultimately giving up on counseling altogether. They eventually started sleeping in separate beds, but kept up a public persona. Desi started to drink more and more heavily, and started to care less and less about the public's view of him. In 1959, he was arrested and jailed for drunkenness after leaving a brothel. That same year, the couple went on a six-week European vacation, which both remembered as miserable and full of fighting. Desi drank his way through Europe, while Lucille's need for everything to be perfect hindered her ability to enjoy herself. They returned home, and soon after that, Lucille stopped having hope for their marriage. She refused to make amends after coming home one day to find Desi in their bed with two prostitutes. Desi later accused her of having an affair with a man in New York City, something that she never publicly confirmed or denied. It was all too much for both of them, and after 19 years of marriage, they divorced on March 3rd of 1960, one day after Desi's 43rd birthday, which was also the day they filmed their very last episode as the Ricardos. After Desi and I went into the final clinch and the lights dimmed, there were no laughs, no smiles. The marriage, after 19 years, had also ended that day. There is something about an ending, even when it is something you have wanted to end, that hurts inside, recalled Lucy. They continued to maintain a good public persona, supporting each other at events and encouraging each other in their future marriages. 
Both remarried, and everyone remained friendly. It was always said of them, however, that neither was ever able to get over the other. Desilu Studios, the television studio started and run by Desi and Lucille, continued to be a success after the end of I Love Lucy. Star Trek and Mission Impossible are just two of the many shows that were filmed on the Desilu lot. Late in her life, Lucille once said, I hate failure, and that divorce was a number one failure in my eyes. It was the worst period of my life. Neither Desi nor I have been the same since, physically or mentally. Both Lucille and Desi eventually remarried, but they took their love for each other to their graves. Desi passed away on December 2nd of 1986 at age 69, and Lucille was 77 when she died on April 26th of 1989. Lucille and Desi remain forever in America's conscience. We remember them as a vibrant, playful couple. We remember a young, handsome Desi singing to his wife with his charming voice. We remember a stunningly beautiful Lucille Ball contorting her face and making outlandish expressions. We remember a charming, interracial couple that was best friends with their elderly landlords, showing 1950s America that friendship and love transcend age and race. We remember Desi going off on his Spanish rants while Lucille rolled her eyes. We remember their little fights, which, on television, were always resolved within 20 minutes. We remember Lucille and Desi exactly as they would want us to, as a fun-loving, hard-working, and inspirational couple, whose problems were never something that couldn't be solved with an apologetic smile and a kiss on the lips. That is the Desi and Lucy that we love, and that is the Desi and Lucy that Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz always wanted us to love. Where do we even begin? I have no idea. Um, I think are we... some of this is insane. Like Totally. I have always been blown away by the story of the dinner party where they invited their friend over for mm-hmm. dinner. He punched her in the face and split her lip and <laughs> and knocked she knocked did was it her or Harriet that knocked him over the I think it was Harriet. Yeah. She was like recovering on the ground. Harriet knocked him over the head with a wine bottle and then they acted like nothing happened (laughs) no it was insane which i don't even know what that says about their like psychology that they could even but i think that it has something to do with like their performers and they're just like okay the show must go on the show must go on because i read obviously a couple books researching and writing this Mm -hmm. episode and it was like that story was told by i don't remember his name but it was the guy that they invited over for dinner and he just said i mean it was just batshit crazy he just was like blown away he just said she just acted like nothing happened that is like she was always on she was always acting yeah yeah um that's so fascinating okay i well i know you have a ton of questions and maybe this is like one of them um but like my question is like were they really in love or was this just like, oh, that's that one of my questions. questions. So okay. Stop. So we'll start okay. with that one because okay, that's okay. one of my main things that I, okay. So here I wrote down some thoughts because okay. here's the thing. So it's said that mm-hmm. Lucille and Desi, and I kind of touched on this mm-hmm. in the episode, um, were each other's one true loves. Like it talks about how yeah. even, you know, they both remarried, but they mm-hmm. were never really able to get over each other. Yeah. Um, but when I think of love, mm-hmm. I think of passion and connection, which they clearly totally, had. Yeah. But I also think of, Kindness and like forgiveness, selflessness, respect. And I'm not sure that Lucille and Desi portrayed any of those attributes towards each other. I think it's clear that they had a strong passion and physical and mental connection, but Mm -hmm. I think it stops there. Yeah. So what, I guess my question is like, what is love if it isn't treating someone kindly? Right. At the end of the day, did they really love each other or were they just passionately infatuated with each other? That's almost, yeah. Like, I'm not saying that if a relationship doesn't work out, the two people don't love each other, Mm -hmm. but their relationship was full of cheating, hurt, and deception from the beginning Mm -hmm. and both ways. Mm -hmm. And if that's how you treat someone consistently, like, do you really love them? Would you really say this was the love of my life if you do not respect them. Right. Totally. Or treat them kindly. It's almost like they are in love somehow, but don't love. Absolutely. Which is so weird. I think, and I think some couples only love and are not in love, but like, it's so weird to have, I've never thought that that was even a possibility that you could be in love and then not love and like treat someone well, but it's almost like, and to, and to call someone like he was my one true love. Right. Right. Totally. But if from the beginning, and what's interesting too, is that like often when you think of an abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. it's typically one abuser, but it was, pretty equal right in in their case 
Um, I would say he did a lot more infidelity than she did because he did accuse her of that one affair, which she never confirmed or denied. So Mm -hmm. we really don't know about that. But Mm -hmm. he was open about his affairs. He he talked about them. So, but physically they were both abusive towards each other right and verbally and emotionally mm-hmm. for sure mm-hmm. i mean they they tried to make each other jealous on purpose because they knew that it infuriated the other which is so insane yeah um yeah i it's like so hard to wrap my mind around and then also i was like struck this time at, at reading it when um he his like dad would cheat on his mm-hmm. mom and mm-hmm. he would get upset about it and it's just like so crazy yes. that that could be the start to something. And then it he would the continue start, but then he also the behavior. Saw his mom say like, I mean, he even, he right. got mad at his mom. He didn't get mad at his dad. He got mad at his mom and said like, why do you put up with this? And right. she was like, well, this, what do you do? Uh, that's fair. So yeah, I guess she almost like, and then not, not that, to blame it on her, but yeah, but that taught him. Okay. Right. It's normal. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I don't feel like I know where I fall on the love. I'm totally with you. I don't, I don't think they loved each other. But like, is it infatuation? How does infatuation yeah. also last a lifetime? Like, that's kind of crazy to me as well. Okay. I, I am gonna. We're we're not making it too far into this episode without bringing up Queer Eye. <laughs> oh my god, please! But I'm gonna bring up Jonathan's podcast, Getting Curious, mm-hmm. because you were telling me about an episode that I actually just listened to today that mm-hmm. he interviewed um, a psychiatrist, I think, or a mm-hmm. psychologist. Um, about relationships and how to have a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that is totally applicable. So basically what this psychologist was saying was, um, you know, obviously we're super, super, super affected very physically and hormonally at the beginning stages of a relationship and where we're just completely infatuated with Mm -hmm. people. And then after that dies down is when you need to make your decision of, okay, do I want to stay with this person? Mm -hmm. But people like Lucille and Desi who are 150% all the time. Mm. I mean, she even said like she went to go it, I don't even remember the guy's name, but she almost got married to someone at, at a party. Like right. they drove up and got halfway to the judge's house and then turned around and mm-hmm. they were like, "Okay, this is a bad decision." But he after that right after they met, he broke off his engagement. So they both mm. I mean, they both obviously were infatuated with each other right away mm-hmm. and made their decision to be together forever. Mm-hmm way before those um hormones had died down. Mm. Am I using the right word hormones? Yeah. Is yeah. that what they're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just think that they are and and probably a lot of the people that we're doing these podcasts on are an example of um making their relationship decisions based on their infatuation right. and not based on long-term That love. makes sense. That makes sense. Also, I wonder if because they would have these like blow up fights where they probably were like, we should break up and then kept getting back together. I wonder if that like triggers, somehow triggers those hormones to like kick back again. in. Right. And then that was the cycle that they were in. They were right, almost addicted that to that the part night of it. They were going to go get divorced. Right. 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 They um, just decided not to. Yeah. Which is, I mean, still obviously really unhealthy and sad. But this is also something that this is like a side note from them, but I kind of wonder if like, so those, those early feelings, right? Like Mm -hmm. in their case, clearly, or maybe they were trying to continue to access that. Do you think in a healthy situation, do you think you can continue to access some of those early, like excitement type feelings, um, while still maintaining like a respectful, like stable relationship or do you think you have to me too (laughs) i've not been able to i have not been in a relationship longer than like almost four years Mm -hmm. and i obviously haven't been with the right people right so maybe with the right people you can Mm -hmm. i have not been able to right unfortunately Mm -hmm. but i think i know some people who have i i i I hope that the butterflies don't leave i'm Mm -hmm. sure you know i understand that they're not there as often Mm -hmm. later on in the relationship but I hope that they don't go away completely. That's how I feel too. I think I also, this is like another relationship expert. I can't remember where I like read about this, but, um, it was a woman that was saying essentially like the thing that attracts us to someone is like watching them do something that they love. Yeah. And so in relationships where people, um, like 
both are doing what they love and then the other person can kind of observe that they kind of continue to fall in love with each other all over again because it's almost like watching a new person or like because that person is constantly growing also so that is almost another way um with the right person that potentially you could access some of those earlier earlier feelings it can't be something that's based on you it can't Mm. be like if they do or say something to you that like makes you i mean you can get butterflies right right the real butterflies are going to keep coming if you if it's fully based on them right totally like fully loving who they are Mm -hmm. and you have to love watching them do what they love to do totally exactly um so I thought that that was really cool too that that's like a way and that's kind of what this guy was um on Jonathan's podcast was saying also like if you can focus on being present with that person you can always discover new things like people are really complex they're infinitely complex and I Mm -hmm. think we often tend to think like oh people are static like that that's Eliza I know who she is like but like you're not you're constantly learning Mm -hmm. new things and Mm -hmm. like I think if you view people as like as these like really complex things then you could always want to find something new and then you probably would you would be more present with that person yeah Yeah. um but anyway, okay, cute. What was your, what were some okay, of your other so questions? So a couple of other things that touch me about the, this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I think a big theme with Lucille was her having to choose between her career and her family. Mm-hmm. She really wanted both. Mm-hmm. And I think she loved the idea of having kids, but mm-hmm. I don't think she could handle it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, she chose her career. Mm -hmm. And I think that's clear by her answer to Cleo that I think you read that part Mm -hmm. where um, Cleo said someone asked her once, like, what do you want the most in your life? And this was after Lucille had become a mom Mm -hmm. and she hesitated. And then she said, my career. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I I mean, I don't have neither you and I are moms. Right. Right. (laughs) But like, that's something that not every woman, but a lot of women just like. We act like it's a small thing, but it's not. That's, like, such a huge thing that we all have to think about. Like, mm-hmm. do you think that we idealize or romanticize the idea of, like, having kids and having a career and having it all? Like, do, mm. do you really know people who truly have it, can have both? That's such a good or question. Or can you really think of people? <sighs> that is honestly such a good question. Um, I think, so one thing popped into my mind. One, I think at that time it was that much harder for women to have both Absolutely. because it more pressure was put on the, the female. And I think fortunately today, which most is ironic of us, because she was like the star of the family. Totally, she was exactly. the worst. I mean, he have... worked as much as she did, but she was the worker of the family. Right. Right. Exactly. So it shouldn't, there shouldn't have been that imbalance. Um, but I feel like, so I think today we have more of the option for that to be the case. However, I would say in like my real life, I would, I see women, I I see women and men actually, um, I would want to like kind of include both that do tend to like veer more in one direction. So they might have kids and have a career. Um, but I see the, the people that I've known, I feel like tend to ultimately they choose ultimately choose one. Yeah. Yeah. Or or at least for a period of time. Exactly. And maybe they can go back to the other one after a short period of time. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but that being said, I'm also such an idealist that I want totally. to think that it's possible. I'm like, no, 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 totally. if I did it, then yeah, I could like totally balance both. But I also want to be realistic because that's such a huge decision. And I yeah. know that like my career and the things I do are really important to me. So I don't, um, I wouldn't want to take that on lightly yeah. if, if I did, you know, if it really wasn't yeah. realistic. Yeah. Um, what do you think? This Hold on. I'm going off on a tangent here because this reminds me. I think it's batshit crazy <laughs> that they were not allowed to say pregnant. Oh my God. That was so on TV. dumb. That was so dumb. Is I, that where the term expecting was coined? That's um, what I started to wonder. I don't know. I didn't read anything about okay. that. Okay. But it just blows my mind. I mean, w- there's no better time to live as a woman than right now. Right. And I can't believe I'm saying that during our current presidency, but it is true based (laughs) on like just little things like that. Totally. It was considered imprudent Mm -hmm. to be pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so insane. Which is insane. But they were not allowed to talk about it on TV. Mm -hmm. And they were so hesitant to even have a pregnant woman on TV. Mm -hmm. And of course the television world was run by men at the time. Right. I just, it, it blows my mind Mm -hmm. how 
I, I just think, okay, so this leads into my next thing too, mm-hmm. because I think that this show was very innovative in some mm-hmm. ways because it was, it showed an interracial couple mm-hmm. in the 1950s in America, mm-hmm. especially during like kind of at the beginning of the Red Scare because the House on American Activities was mm-hmm. doing its damage and she was married to a Cuban. She right. was married to someone who is tied to communism mm-hmm. just because of where he's from. And I also think it was innovative because there was a strong female lead, mm-hmm. but they were so held back by their time. Mm-hmm. And they, at the beginning of the show too, for the first couple episodes or seasons, they had to sleep in separate beds on the show. That's they, so crazy. They couldn't show like one single bed in the bedroom, mm-hmm. which eventually they started to be able to show that. But in, if you watch like the first season, they, they have two separate single beds in the bedroom. Wait, that's insane. Was anyone, wait, now my question about like historically, was anyone sleeping like that? Like, no. So why in the world? No. That's so crazy. Historically, were people not getting pregnant? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, exactly. No, every single man so crazy. who ran the show and made these decisions that's... slept in their beds with their wives <laughs> and so their insane. wives got pregnant, but they were not allowed to even talk about it on TV. That's so crazy. I just think it's insane. Yeah. So so I think that the show is an interesting... Con- I think there's an interesting contrast between their like fiery, very sexual, spicy life mm-hmm. and their completely unrealistic TV mm-hmm. show life. Mm-hmm. Because in real life, they were nothing like mm-hmm. they portrayed on TV. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. In real life... Um, cause, because on the show, Lucille's like the perfect housewife Mm -hmm. she well no i mean i guess that's the premise of the show is that she's not the perfect housewife but the point is like she does cook and clean Mm -hmm. she stays home and the premise of the show is that like she you know gets into trouble and Mm -hmm. wants to be a showbiz star and so she like tries to sneak on to desi's shows and all that stuff but essentially she is like the 50s housewife Mm -hmm. um and in real life she was not that at all at all right so and in real life you know, on the show, Desi's the one who makes the money and mm-hmm. she's the one who stays home and spends it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say it was the opposite in real life because they both made money. But in real life, she was a huge, she was a bigger star than him, mm-hmm. which we touch on that. Like he partly was attracted to that, but also hated that she was the bigger star. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's this interesting contrast between yeah. the show and real life. And that, I feel like that gets into like some of how, again, like they there's like the keeping up appearances side of them and then like mm-hmm. the reality. And I think that they um, were both maybe even from a young age, really fascinated with keeping up appearances. Like it yeah, just seemed like it was, was so a, part of a nature. Like when she was from childhood. Totally. Exactly. And then when she like wanted, they like rekindled their romance, but she still went to yes. get a divorce. He was like, like what so are you insane. doing? She was she like, cared honestly, way more. the press knows that we were going to get a divorce today and I'm not going to let them down. Right, right. <laughs> and then she went to the court and she couldn't actually get a divorce because of that one year law mm. where they couldn't live together. But still, it was like, it's all, it was all about image. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But also to be fair, I just thought about this. Like, I wonder if that's why they were so connected to each other because they were both like they so absurd. Yeah. yeah. They understood how the other one was like so right. absurd in that right. way. That's because true. like, how could you be with someone? Like, how could you, if that was how you were, find someone else who would that's like true. put and up with also, that? I think you read this quote where she said like, we were able to get through things because we both had a sense of humor about it. Right. Right. And they had a great sex life. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's, that's great. what kept them together. <laughs> yeah, that's, great. that's great, but you need so much. You more need than more. That. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Um, I don't know. At the end of the day, like I, I understand why they did not work. Right. Um, but I don't think that it's it's hard to imagine either of them ever working with anyone. Totally. It's almost yeah, like how right. could they work with anyone but each other? Totally. Because they're both so extra. <laughs> right. Totally. Um. This is like another question that just popped into my head. Do you think if they like existed today with like maybe our we have a little bit of a better understanding of mental health, we talk about mm-hmm, it more. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. if that's how that relationship would go down. Like I almost wonder if and also like, you know, her friends and his friends probably at the time would just like step in and say like absolutely not, this is not happening. Um but it did seem like at that time, you know, abusive relationships were somewhat more common and just kind of like everyone was about keeping up appearances. Everyone mm-hmm. kind of like yeah, could ignore point. it. And I would wonder if today, like they would almost have to like, yeah. cause I don't know, have some sort of more awareness of how unhealthy what they were doing was. Yeah. I think that's a fair point, but I also think we still see stuff like this today. Oh, totally. I, yeah. 
literally think, I know this is like, I'm so ashamed that I'm even using this as an example mm-hmm. because I even know that this is in existence, but like, um, Aria, Ariana Grande and her fiance, did you hear about this? Wait, the fiance she has right now? Yeah. What's his name? Um, Pete? Peter, Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson. Yeah. Wait, they what happened? got engaged after three weeks or like right, something like right. super, super short like that. That's a good point. They're both like two very famous. I'm not saying that they are right. Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, but the point is like, I think we still see people today, That's fair. um, getting engaged way too soon mm-hmm. before letting those hormones mm-hmm. die down. And so that's, and it like, we like to think that today we know so much more about how to like have a healthy relationship mm-hmm. and how to not rush into things, um, before you know if it's healthy or not. But like, right. I don't think we've learned yeah. <laughs> from our mistakes. Yeah. No, that's actually a really good point. Um, yeah. Good. Um, good pop culture reference. That was very, um, off brand. <laughs> Thank you. I know. Typical. Thank you. I didn't even know his name, but I knew, but I know, I <laughs> just I know, know that, that I've been hearing yeah. all about Ariana Grande and her brand new fiance. Mm-hmm. And it was like crazy, crazy soon. And they're super young, which I, I don't know how, I think they were like twenties, Lucille and Desi. Um, okay. Wait, you know what I just realized? We didn't sort them into <gasps> their houses, which we could do right now. Okay. Um, I mean, what do we even do? I think they're both Slytherins. I know. That's what I was going to say. No, yeah, yeah. We could, I mean, okay, that's what we okay, could do. Okay. Yeah. We could say, I think that I agree with you. Yeah. Um, but so I think that there can always, obviously there's always like that subtle difference between a Slytherin and a Gryffindor and like what put, I think for sure Desi seems like a Slytherin. Actually, I think, mm-hmm. no, you're so right. They both mm-hmm. are. So like what puts are. them over the edge? You know what I mean? Where yeah. like sometimes you can what teeter on that. What would you say is the house that's most like self-concerned? I mean, no, I think Slytherin. Okay. Slytherin, um, but I like think that, Wing Ravenclaw. Yeah. I was actually going to say Wing. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, or like Wing Gryffindor. Because they Gryffindors are like kind of prideful. I can say that as a Gryffindor. Okay. That like Gryffindors have a little bit of a prideful streak. I do not see Lucille or Desi fighting in the Battle of Hogwarts. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're so right. They do not. They're No, you're right. They're Absolutely They're self-centered not. in the sense of like they only... Okay, yeah, yeah, They'd yeah. be like not fucking like, in the bathroom during it. No, you're so right. <laughs> Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> um, yeah, you're so right. They're, I think they're both for sure full, full Slytherins. Slytherins. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but on the show, I would think that like Lucille would be maybe a, a Gryffindor. Yeah, and maybe Desi would be a Hufflepuff. Just kind of like no, no. Okay, he would be well, what do you think? maybe because he's kind of like people pleaser. I don't know. I've only no, seen a couple that's episodes. True. Yeah. Um. Um. I've seen. Probably every single episode. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say Lucille would be Gryffindor because she is good, but like wants to stand out. Yes, totally. Mm-hmm. And Desi already does stand out. So mm-hmm. maybe, yeah, maybe Hufflepuff. Yeah. But yeah. like absolutely not in real life. Right. No, no, no. Yeah, totally. Do Slytherins need to stand out? Um, no, they can like, I feel like Slytherins are okay blending in if they're in positions of power. Right. Okay. Am I yeah, analyzing absolutely. too far? No, but I think that that's true. No, no, no. That's, um, I could talk about this all day. Yeah, but yeah. That's true. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. I think, I think the divorce hit both of them hard, but I think it hit her harder. Yeah. Why do you think that? Like what was? Because he... Maybe she just was more, I think that she, because they both cared about their public appearance, but mm-hmm. she tried harder to keep hers up because eventually he just lost, he stopped trying to keep up his public appearance because he dealt with such strong alcoholism mm-hmm. and just stopped caring how people saw him. I mean, he was arrested for things mm. later in life because he was drunk in public and because he was at a brothel and different mm-hmm. things like that. And I think... She, I think it hit him hard, but he stopped caring that Mm. people knew that it hit him hard. Right. But she never stopped caring that people knew that she was always about appearances. Right. And, um, like even to the smallest things, like tearing off Vivian Vance's fake lashes and saying, no one here wears fake lashes (laughs) except for me. Like, yeah, she always very strongly needed to be on top and she Mm -hmm. needed everyone to be looking at her mm-hmm. and she needed everyone to think that she was fine. Right. Which is, I wonder if that's why she dealt, why she had a harder time with it. 
because if you yeah. have to, on top of dealing yeah, exactly. with something difficult, keep exactly. up the appearance that you're, you're fine is like, yeah. um, that much added pressure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a question for you because I know that they are like one of your favorite, or like you were just really excited to do this episode. Yeah. Um, so is it more about I love Lucy than it is about them as people or do they also as people just kind of fascinate you? And if so to both of those, why? Well, it was one of those things where like, I love Lucy is very sentimental to me because I grew up watching it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a very, I didn't have TV growing up, but I had a very limited number of, um, I had a limited selection of VHS tapes (laughs) Mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. So I ended up watching I love Lucy over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. So it's a very sentimental show to me. Um, but it's one of those situations where when you dig and do research and really find out more about it, it's almost like, Oh, I wish I hadn't done that Mm -hmm. because they do a great job of portraying this like wonderful, beautiful couple on TV. Mm -hmm. And then when I read all these books about them and their relationship and learned the extent of the abuse towards each other, it crushed me. Mm -hmm. And you know, obviously no one's perfect. So besides Mr. Rogers, (laughs) but (laughs) I, I was so crushed reading these books and doing this research and finding out how they treated each other and finding out how, not just each other, but how they treated everyone around. Right. Right. Because she, I mean, throwing water in her maid's face Mm -hmm. because there wasn't ice in it, Mm -hmm. which, you know, obviously the maid like was a good fit for her because she walked back in the room (laughs) and threw water back in her face. But like just the type of person that would do that. Yeah. It it was, it was a little crushing to me to learn that about Lucille. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I, as someone who has a degree in theater and that's like a big part of my life, always, I mean, she's one of my personal icons because she is one of the greatest comedians in the world mm-hmm. and such an iconic figure for women in theater and film mm-hmm. all across the board. Even right. if you're not a fan of her, you right. can admit that she was um, monumental. Mm-hmm. So... It's hard to read that about someone that you admire so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you feel like there's something, because I feel like this is like going to be something that is like somewhat um, a theme in these episodes because so many of these really powerful, amazing people, like same thing with F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda Fitzgerald, who we'll do later, like, um, he's such a great writer and yet, um, seems like a terrible person. Like, do you think that there is something about people, um, in not in positions of power, I guess in this case, but people who end up being in the public eye, um, is there something about their character, um, and or being in the public eye that causes them to kind of have, um, I don't know, these more negative attributes. I think that we could argue that until we get to Andrew Jackson's episode. Because so it's the true. opposite for him. So true. He was yeah. a monster in the public. Eye. Totally. And he was a monster in real life, mm-hmm. except towards his wife. He right. was the most loving and caring husband towards his wife. So I don't know if that's an exception right. to the rule. Right. Or if that just proves that there is no There's yeah, there's, there's no, no common standard. thread. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no telling. No thread. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just interesting to, say, to me. But I can say that I wouldn't want to be in a relationship with someone who was in such a public um, place. Right. I, I think, think that would be, I, I imagine it would have an effect on me. Mm-hmm. And so I can't, I don't know if it would, cause I never have been, but yeah, you have all this, pr- when you know, people are watching you, you have, you have all this pressure mm-hmm. and yeah. I yeah. Know. And I wonder if in those, in these cases, it, it does build up, um, you know, they're the negative emotions you do have. If they come up every day and you can just let them out, then, then you deal with them. Right. But if you have to constantly, if you're constantly being watched, they all build up until one day you explode. Yes. Um, so, so that would be the only thing, but, but again, in, in this case, it almost seems like it was part of her nature, except for when she was really shy at that theater school. You know, like it was yeah, just and confusing. they sent her home, and he was yeah. like, "She's too shy." Yeah, so I don't yeah, know. That's it's curious just, to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I almost really wonder if she learned that um, mm. being the standout was what put her pushed her forward. Right, right. And made people notice her. Right, yeah. Being louder, some people being... do well by blending in, mm-hmm. but 
she realized that was not working for her. Right, right. And she realized her strength was in physical comedy, which was so rare for women at the mm-hmm. time, and still is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other questions? Any final questions? <laughs> I don't... Thoughts, feelings, concerns? <laughs> just that it was, it, it's just like sad to hear about, I guess, such an unhealthy relationship with two like really talented people. Um, that you want to love and you want to be so excited for. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I do not envy, like you were saying, the, dating someone in a, in a um, position of pub, the public op- opinion yeah, or, yeah. and or um, being someone that's like the center um, of the yeah, public eye. Yeah. I think that would be really hard. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that I am surprised. I mean, they ultimately didn't last in the end, but I am surprised at, at how long they did last. Yeah. Because they lasted a while. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if part of that was that, that the show was keeping them together. Mm. But but they did last a while, and they had two kids together. Yeah. So I don't think it's always true that, um, you know, getting married super, super quickly or super mm-hmm. young leads to total disaster right away. But, but in, in the end reading about couples like this it just makes me all the more want to take my time yeah with a relationship yeah and really 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 get to know the person mm-hmm. and get to know me in that relationship mm-hmm. before making any sort of big decisions which if you are making any i mean this is like what you and I were talking about when we were in the airport going to Montana like you should not make any big, huge decisions in what, what, what did you say? Like the first six months of a relationship? I don't even remember the timeline they gave, but yeah, yeah. I mean, probably that is like a good rule of, rule yeah. of thumb. Six months would be, yeah. Don't make any relationship decisions mm-hmm. in the first six months, mm-hmm. which in the past I have mm-hmm. not followed that. And <laughs> yeah. it did not work out. Yeah. No, I, so that's, that's my goal moving forward. Yeah. I totally, I agree with that. I think people slowly reveal themselves to you. Um, and you know, there are steps like living together and things like that, that can reveal that much more. Um, which we are fortunate that we live in a time where that's more acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I love the little teaser to episode three, uh, with how F Scott lived in the same apartment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They used to like bet. They used to like him and his girlfriend Sheila Graham used to like watch from the balcony and bet on like who would win the fight. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's really funny. Yeah, because Lucille and Desi too. Like to their credit, they never tried to hide it. Like they right. were so loud about it and they were so public about it. At least they didn't pretend to be something that they were not. I mean, in in like in, in this in their the sense that they did Yeah, like in front of family and friends. Like they didn't lie. Right. About it. They they right. they let. They let people know that their relationship was not doing well. Right, right. They didn't boldface lie. Mm-hmm. Even though they wanted people to think that it was doing well. Mm-hmm. They were honest. Right. And then there was also a connection to Antony and Cleopatra, who will also come later. Oh, yeah. So, so weird. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. All right. Well, I've been Eliza. And I've been Caden. And this was Loving in the Past. Loving in the Past is written and recorded by Caden Levitt and Eliza Garrity. Nathan Knox is our audio engineer and editor, and Stephanie Ryman did our associated artwork. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on new releases, and we'll see you next time.